Welcome everyone to Dinging Corners 2.0 episode 3. We are here with Jimbo, your co-host for the second time, but not the last time. <laughs> and today we are going to be talking about the Fangraphs top 100 plus list because it's called the top 100 list, but there is more than 100 players. What they do is they take every player ranked from 50 future value and above and put it on their list, whereas some lists just put a hundred guys right and um should be a pretty good time we're just going to go through i haven't actually had a ton of time to look at the list jimbo's had a little bit more time which is nice because i'm kind of going into this blind um gonna react to things in live time that um are kind of shocking or shocking in a good way shocking in a bad way and uh, jimbo will be here to uh lead me right um, absolutely so, yeah should be a good time. Uh, morning, Jimbo. We are recording this bright and early, 7 a.m. on uh, Central Time. Good morning. Yeah, it's yeah. like Christmas here because uh, we're heading to Atlanta, so we're pumped. It, very exciting. I wish I was heading to Atlanta, but instead I'll be sitting in the cold all day. <laughs> don't worry. Um, what was that? Oh, don't worry. I'll send you pictures of me walking around in shorts and just looking at baseball cards all day. Must be nice. Must be nice. I'll send you pictures of snow on the ground and the thermostat that will surely read like 12 degrees outside. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. I can't complain. Summer, spring, and fall are nice here in Wisconsin. So you deal with the winter. You deal with the winter to get the beautiful spring and fall. Um, that being said, I digress from our main subject, and that is the top 100 prospect list. And I've pulled it up on my phone here. My phone is at 14%. So hopefully we get through this thing before this thing dies. I would pull it up on my computer. But every time I pull it up on my computer, it crashes my computer. Um, but right off the bat, I think we need to talk about Adley Rushman. Because mm. actually, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. Let's talk about overall the top 100 prospect list. Because this is different than other top 100 prospect lists. Um, they make a very good point and they and they make a very strong point about how just because a guy is ranked number five and a guy is ranked number 10 doesn't mean that the number five ranked guy is that significantly better than the number 10 ranked guy mm -hmm. because they're both 60 future value. Um, Spencer Torkelson is number five. He's 60 future value. Gabriel Moreno is also 60 future value at number 10 catcher for Toronto, um, but they're both 60 future value. So there's not a huge difference. Likewise, there is a big difference between Spencer Torkelson at number five and Tristan Casas at number 16, 11 spots. But uh, it's a 60 future value to a 55 future value. Just like there's not a huge difference between number 16, Tristan Casas, and like number 32 or Elvis Martinez, even though there's 16 spots there. There's a bigger difference between spot number five and number 16 than there is between 16 and 32. Likewise, there's a bigger difference or like 33 through the end of the list is all 50 future value guys. So like, yeah, there is going to be some play at the end of the list where it's it's it becomes like the top end of the 50 range is going to be a little bit less risky. 50 future value guys probably and the mm -hmm. bottom end of the range like Reginald Preciato or however you say that you probably know better than me. Um is a 50 future value, but you scroll down to the bottom Cubs prospect in the U Darvish trade 
If you scroll down to the bottom and read his thing, it's very interesting. And I would advise everyone to read, go through and actually read. You don't have to read all 114 excerpts on these guys because that's a ton. I will end up doing it because I love it. But <laughs> I, I, you do not have to. But there is some interesting stuff here. So for Reginald. He set a record for a Panamanian prospects when he signed with the Padres for 1.3 million in 2019. He was shipped off to the Cubs as the shiniest prospect in the U Darvish deal in 20, December 2020 and spent 21 in the Arizona Complex League where he slashed 333, 383 with a 511 slugging and split his time on the infield between third and short. He's a big framed, about 6'4", switch hitter who is athletic enough to stay on the infield. Players like this have a wide range of potential outcomes with one being that their bodies develop in the Goldilocks zone where they remain agile enough to stay at shortstop while also becoming big and strong enough to hit for impact power. Size and stiffness in his lower half have us projecting him for third base now. Reginald underwent a swing transformation between 2019 and 20, though he's still making noticeable adjustments to it, which indicates that he is working to further develop. Pitch recognition is a concern and might become more statistically relevant as he faces better pitching. It hasn't caused a ton of swing and miss yet. Rather, it's more often manifests as subpar contact with uh, Reginald either rolling over grounders or chopping the ball straight into the ground. So what's interesting there, and I'm going to stop there, mm-hmm. is that reading through these, you actually get a pretty good, pretty good insight because if you're just scouting statistics, and it's really hard to scout a dude's swing when he plays in Arizona Complex League ball. If you're not a scout, if you're mm-hmm. not sitting in Arizona watching his games, you're not going to know that Reginald is probably going to have an increase in swing and miss. Like if you looked at his stats and I haven't looked at his stats, I could pull them up here real quick. Um, But sometimes if you scout stat lines and you see a good, a good strikeout line, right? A good strikeout percentage. You're going to say to yourself, Oh, you know, if he can keep that up, yada, yada, yada. And then you read something like this where it's like, Hey, he does have a pretty good strikeout rate. But if you, if you just look at his stat line, and you see a good strikeout percentage, and you just scout it, you wouldn't know that there is concerns about his strikeout rate. So it's 22.7 in Complex League, which obviously isn't like spectacular. We're talking about the lowest level of baseball outside of uh, Dominican Summer Leagues. Um, but it is one of those things where you say, ah, oh, 22.7, 7.1 walk rate. Okay, interesting player. Maybe I should invest in him. And then you read something like this, and you say, oh, there could be more swing and miss in his game than I'm expecting, and it's causing him to ground out right now instead of strikeout, but against better pitching with you know nastier stuff, uh, more movement on their sliders, whatever, fastball, it's going to end up being less ground out, more strikeout. I'm going to stay away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll see that a lot in uh, in write-ups like this. And, and this is one thing, like a fan graphs, it's, it's pretty non-biased. A lot of times with like the MLB – uh, if you go on like the MLB.com and look and read through the articles there, mostly it's all positive because mm-hmm. the MLB wants to promote these young guys. But Fangraphs is nice because they, they'll they'll bring that up like, oh, his stats are good. But this is what we're seeing, even though, you know, he's facing high school equivalent pitching down in instructs. So that's definitely I, that's why I love this stuff. Like I like I was just scrolling and, and I'll read all every single one of these. And I love when these things get, you know, the new releases come out. 
Yeah, because they're so they're so detailed. And I love that you bring that up about MLB Pipeline because MLB Pipeline seems like it's the go to the go to top hundred for people that are trying to price their prospects. Yeah. Right. Oh, so and so made it to fifteen on the MLB Pipeline. This card should be going up a hundred bucks, something like that. And especially not only just the MLB Pipeline top hundred, but if you go to the the draft portion. And you mm-hmm. read player profiles before the draft. It's like everyone's a 50 future value on the entire stinking list. Yeah. Everyone has 50 plus tools across the board, except for maybe running and defense. But everyone's hit tool is a 50. Everyone's power is a 50 or better. I almost think they don't want to be mean. You they know, mean, they want to bring that excitement because yeah, fans like you know the fans are excited about the future. The more the more they'll talk about it, watch and all of that and. And I got to see it firsthand a lot of times when you like you read these and then you see these players like in person, you're like, and then you're just like, I don't know about that. You know, like some of the things that you read. So that's, that was definitely one takeaway that I had while being. And I, I got to imagine LAB pipeline has a lot of scouts that are, they probably talk to a lot of team scouts. These guys talk to a lot of scouts, but I'm sure they talk to a lot of, you know, opposing scouts about players and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Whereas I imagine LOE pipeline has a big in with a lot of team scouts and they're just going to get glowing reports. Yeah. Well, even though like the, the reports that are in the locker or like in the locker rooms or stuff in um, you know, just the reports that that get brought to the team are way different than what gets pumped out to. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's one of those things I always, I always, um, there were, used to be a rumor that when you'd see teams with more top 100 prospect lists every year than top 100 guys every year than other teams, it's because they pumped them more. So, like, if the if the Yankees had, like, six top 100 prospects, like, five years straight, it's because the Yan- – and the Brewers only had, like, one. It's because the Yankees really pumped up their prospects to a bunch of sources as best they could to get them on these lists to get, you know, more trade value. Now, obviously – did front offices use these? Maybe because front offices were pretty dumb as of even like 10 years ago. Right now, I would say there's no chance that any front office would ever use an outside source to help with evaluations. But it does help if you're trying to trade those guys and you're, if you're the Rangers and you're trading with the Yankees and all of a sudden a couple of your guys end up on an LB top 100 prospect list, fans are excited. Yeah, exactly. Fans are pumped. And um, there's always a plus to minus with that with cards, though, because looking at the bottom of the list, you can kind of tell where, you know, the narrative is where, you know, where they're going to get bumped up. And it's pretty easy to like once you figure the process, like once you see it year to year, like if you go back to the last couple of years and look at the top hundred and just look at the players that jumped and, you know, stats aren't, aren't always the aren't always the factor. Like if you look at it like a J-Dom, J-Dom jumped a ton. If you looked yeah. at his stats, you would have been like, what? So, but he's on the Yankees. He's the top number one prospect, you know, out of that international class. A lot of hype around him. It's, um, it's always usually young athletes, you know, like yeah. Kevin Alcantara, 87 on this list. Would we be shocked if he's in the 50s by mid-year? No, not at all. Like if he had a good, came out strong with, with, with the name he already has on the Cubs, that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff I look for when you know for card wise. Mm-hmm. Well, since we have since we have a good baseline for everyone to understand why these lists are made and how these lists are made, and understand that 
even if you're looking at number seven, Francisco Alvarez, and you're saying, oh, he's better than Anthony uh, Volpe, Volpe, I don't know, Nuelvi Marte. We'll go with Nuelvi Marte because I actually know how to say his last name. Uh, at number 13, not that big of a difference. So don't be super excited that you're at number seven and the Mariners have number 13 prospect because it's not it's not that big. Um, but let's start with Adley Rushman. I teased it earlier. He's one of the older prospects on the list, 24. Um, him, Josh Jung, and a couple other guys who uh, Jimbo just announced to me. Josh Jung, out six months. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunate timing. You get you get place number nine on Fangraph's top 100 prospect list, and then you get injured. Kind of stinks. But Jimbo... First thing he says to me yesterday when we talk about the top, when I said we should talk about the top hundred prospect list is, "Wow, Adley Rushman, seventy. And, yeah, uh, which to me was, it, you know, I'm not, you know, I know he's a great player in, in you know, on both sides, um, offensively and behind the plate. I was just more shocked he was the only seventy. You know, you have a Bobby Witt, you know, Julio Rodriguez, a Torque. You know, I, I would thought for sure, like a Grayson Rodriguez, that there'd be another 70. So I don't know. I think I was a little more shocked on that. And I thought a lot more of these 60s would have been 65s. Yeah. So. I mean, especially now some of that, like Spencer Torkelson, uh, I got to imagine a reason he's not a 65 is defense. True. True. Which fan graphs they they judge their players they they don't judge them for like how we think card wise yeah they judge them as a player like a gm value wise so yeah. you're yeah i guess yeah which, which is why last year two years ago two years ago before cabrian hayes or maybe even three years ago before cabrian hayes got called up to the majors you know he's like the 19th prospect in baseball on fan graphs and a lot of people would have been like this guy is a so-so-ish hitter with amazing defense, but Fangraphs is saying, look, this defense is so good, so good, that he is going to be a top, one of the top, like, performing young prospects when he hits the majors based just off of defense. A two-win player based just off of defense, that's how good it is. Anything he adds with the bat is a bonus, right? And so mm-hmm. you got you to gotta keep that in mind when we're, not you specifically, but anybody listening to this, when you're looking through it yourself, remember that just because, and Jimbo brought up a good point, just because you really like a guy and you think he should be ranked higher or this or that, uh, remember it's not just because of the bat. Defense plays a huge role. Speed plays a huge role into some of these things. You know, being a being a complete player, can you run the bases? Can you play defense? Can you, and, and for Adley Rushman, the answer is I'd not run the bases, but – that dude is so good defensively. He is the best defensive catcher in the minor leagues, and he might just be the best defensive catcher when he hits the majors instantaneously. And the nice thing about that is catchers take a lot of dings. A lot of dings. You'll notice that last year, the Brewers, Omar Nevarez, best defensive catcher in baseball, um, one of the better hitters in baseball out of the catcher's position, and he started off the year hot. And then all of a sudden, you know, he had like nine home runs in the first like two months. And then he ended the he like halfway through the year. He had like 12 home runs. And you're like, dude, why'd you slow down so much? It's because catchers get dinged up. Little ding here, little ding there. And it saps your power. It saps your ability for contact. You know, this and that. 
And so that is the one fear with Ali Rushman is the defense is amazing and he is going to be so valuable for the Orioles and the young pitching because what makes a young pitcher really good? A good catcher. If you can, if you can, they actually wrote in his write-up about how he's so strong. Most guys have to start below the zone and frame up. He can start in the zone, dip his glove and catch it and not move and not move because of the strength of his arms, which is apparently rare for catchers. I wouldn't know. And uh, <clears throat> that is super valuable to a team that's about to be calling up Grayson Rodriguez. DL Hall will have a bunch of vets uh, that they're trying to recoup value out of. You know, sign a vet for a one-year, $6 million deal. See if you can get some good innings out of him for the first half of the year and then trade him away for a lottery ticket or two. Or maybe not even a lottery ticket. Maybe you trade him away for somebody's seventh reliever that you think has some upside that you can turn into a setup man in the future something like that big big value there so i am very much in agreement with the 70 overall i mean the bat is amazing the bat is amazing but the defense is even more amazing and the amount of value that he is going to bring to the orioles because of how young and how bad their pitching staff has been just by being a spectacular defensive catcher and pitch framer i'm excited mm-hmm like you think? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh no, I'm just yeah. I've been watching film or videos of him. Uh, you know, just like the stuff on Twitter and in watching him take BP right now and just smashing balls. I know it's BP, but I, it just gets me excited watching all these young guys coming out. And you know who else smashes balls in BP? Jason Dominguez. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And uh, huh. old old school Jason Hayward. Remember how they used to. I remember watching it in uh, in high school, in class. Like they would bring, like put it on the TV. Like Jason Hayward's taking BP, and they would in for in spring training. I'm like, this is ridiculous. They're putting this on ESPN. I mean, I loved it because it was it was exciting. But um, man, there could be a lot of hype around all that. Yep. And then yeah. you, you get in game. Yes. It's just not the same thing. Uh. We're going to skip number two to talk about number three here real quick. Grayson Rodriguez, Orioles pitcher, 65 future value. Um, just a quick note here. You think he's good right now. Imagine him with Adley Rushman behind the plate catching him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's we've. I've been hearing a lot about him for a while now. I'm excited just to get him called up, which these new agreements that you know the players in the MLB are – talking about are the manipulation of service time. So depending on how that goes, we might see a Grayson Rodriguez a lot earlier than we normally would in an Adley Rushman and all these other players if they figure that out and there's no you, more. Can you imagine? you imagine we start the year in, let's say, a month and a half and Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rushman are actually up on the Orioles? Well, that that's a very big factor with a majority of these players on this list because – Think about it. There's no players that have been signed since whatever day it was when the lockout happened. So all these veteran players, the fringe players, aren't getting signed right now. So mm -hmm. when this thing gets signed, things are going to take off fast for these teams. And the, the, a lot of the players that they have now already on the 40-man, the young players, they're they're going to go to that pool, I bet, first. Then oh, going yeah. For spring training, because spring training, this thing gets signed. Spring training is going to start like three days later, probably. Yeah. Like I was wander still overseas right now and more like practicing and stuff like all those guys are going to just be flooding in 
And but a lot of these veteran players, like I just don't think they're going to get signed. Where I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for these young guys that, that we've never seen before, and it's going to be an explosion that baseball needed of just a giant youth movement. I would love that. I would absolutely love that because we'll see Rushman, we'll see Bobby Witt, we'll see Julio Rodriguez, we'll see Spencer Torkelson this year. Going to be amazing. Uh, speaking of Spencer Torkelson, we're going to skip over Bobby Witt and Julio. You guys all know about them. Uh, yes. Jimbo is a Tigers fan. So give us the rundown on Spencer, a um, first baseman that was going to play third base, but is listed as a first baseman here, and Riley Green. Yeah, so Torkelson, I, you know, I think we all know what he's about. Uh, there's a lot of chatter around him. I think he's just going to be a, like a consistent hitter when he gets called up first base. Uh, if we're going to bring this into cards, for me, I'm like I'm a huge Tigers fan. There's so there's a bias with that, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of chatter with his cards. Well, in the beginning, there will be because it's you know top prospect. Mm-hmm. But long term, I personally, if I was doing this just for the flipping aspect, Torkelson doesn't excite me as much for that. As a Tigers fan, as thinking as like GM type, love him. Great at bat, like great batter, like great hitter, and he's going to do a lot of great things in that lineup. Riley Green is the one that excites me a little bit more. He's younger. He's in the outfield. They're saying that they're going to stick him in, in center, which was always the, the thing of question with them. Um, but his glove is good. And that's what keeps you in the lineup. That's what keeps you, you know, playing consistently, even if the bat struggles, would say in the beginning. Yeah. The feeling will carry you, which is and he's huge. got he's got a little bit of strikeout issues, but he also has big time pop. And yes. if you can play center field and when you make contact, make loud contact, that yeah. plays well. That plays I well. agree. I agree with that. And he's still really young. That's the thing that's crazy. He's still, you know, 21 years old. 21. Like, Though Spencer is only a year older than him, which yeah. is kind of weird to me. Uh, moving back to Spencer, one second, because I liked what you said. Um, it is a good reminder that while he is a top prospect and people are excited about him because he was the number one overall pick um, and a number, number five overall prospect, going to be one of the best Tigers from the moment he gets called up, he's still a first baseman. And historically, you can look at Pete Alonzo if you want. Mm-hmm. Pete Alonzo started out hot. Very hot. He hasn't kept it up. He's been a good player. He's been a very good player this entire time. But his prices have just not stayed up. And that's in New York with the yeah. Mets who are always in the news. And yet, if Pete Alonzo can't keep his prices up, I don't think Spencer Torkelson is going to keep his prices up unless they actually slot him in at third base and keep him there. Mm-hmm. Then, then you could see something, but uh, I don't, I don't foresee that happening just because he's not, he, he's not a good defense. He wouldn't be a good defensive third baseman. And like, they already did that with Miguel Cabrera. I don't know if they're going to want to run that back with uh <laughs> new management. So I don't see that happen. Avila is not like that at all. That's a Dombrowski. Let's throw, you know, defense doesn't matter as much. Yeah. So, no, I agree. Defense and bullpens, am I right? Yeah. My gosh, the two things that wins uh, wins the World Series. Yeah, you can look at the Brewers. They've been making their hay on just good bullpen. For a long time, before we had, like, dominant starters, it was really good bullpen and good defense for a number of years with timely home runs. 
Mm-hmm. And now it's good starters, good bullpen, good defense, and no offense. And we're still making the playoffs because it's a winning formula. Exactly. If you can if you can just scrape together three runs and you give yourself a really good shot at holding the other team to two because your pitching's amazing and your defense is amazing. Well, every lockout, like every inning, um, like good reliever you have, you're eliminating, you're shortening the game by an inning. Like Josh Hader, there's a time where he was eliminating two innings a game, and that's yeah. just unreal to think. Like as a as a manager going out there, that's it's huge. And you know, okay, you can you can if you use them for two innings, you're not using them tomorrow, right? So yeah. it's like, would you rather have two innings today or one inning and one inning? But the thing I like to say is win the game. And everyone else probably likes to say it. Win the game that's in front of you. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, yeah, you could save Josh Hader to be able to pitch tomorrow. But if you need him, you deal with that tomorrow. But try to win the game today because you never know. Um, But we move on. Uh, I want to talk. One last guy I want to talk about in the top 10 is O'Neal Cruz, um, the 6'7 shortstop from Pittsburgh. He is number eight on the list, 60 future value. And I got to say, there's a couple guys on this list that you go through. And if you followed along with my my writing, especially from a couple years ago, there are guys that are starting to pop on these lists that make me feel very happy inside. <laughs> Ray Rodriguez is one of them. I was very high on him. O'Neill Cruz, Shane Bass. They are all, they're number, number three, number eight, and number 11. And I'm fairly confident I had an individual article on every single one of these guys saying, hey, this guy is going to pop. Now, some of them, like Shane Baz, it took, you know, a number of years, number of years for him to finally pop, but he finally did it. Love it. Um, but O'Neill Cruz, this dude is 6'7. And at the time, Jeez. I remember this very vividly. I was like, look, this dude has massive power and he's got great speed and he's got good defensive instincts. If he's not going to be able to play shortstop, he'll be a star at third base. And if he can't be a star at third base, he'll be a star at, you know, center field. And if he can't be a star in center field, he'll be a star in left field. If he can't be a star in left field, he'll be a star, or right field and then left field, because that would be down the defensive spectrum. And then if he can't be a star in left field, he'll be a star at first base. The one place I didn't think he would play would be second base. Um, Just a little bit, probably too massive to run a yeah. double play with. I um, but otherwise, I was like, this dude's bat and speed will be a star at any position. Like if he if he stays a shortstop, that's obviously the ideal outcome because that bat's insane there and the mm-hmm. size is insane there. But it, anywhere else he moves, his bat and his speed is so good and his defense is so good, he'll still be a star. Yeah. We're a couple of years removed from that take and he is still a shortstop. He's going to he's projected to be in the LB this year. And I am very excited to watch a six seven dude play shortstop and see what his bat. Because I, I kid you not, this is a this is a pretty fast dude, a mm-hmm. pretty stinking fast dude that is also good at defense. Let's get his pull up his uh, little player review here, so I can I can read off his. So he is a sixty run right now with eighty raw power, seventy projected game power. A 60 run currently projected 45, but like that's pretty in, insane. 80 raw power, 60 speed. And you, you know, even if he's not and an 80 throw, that's the big thing. So like shortstop, maybe he's a little iffy, 
but he can make up for some bad reads with some good throws. And also, mm-hmm. if he can't play there, you stick him at third base, a little bit easier defensive position to handle, and that arm, or you stick him in the outfield. That's yeah. And I just like what the the Pirates are doing. Like, think about it. So I put up their list. Like, think about it. If they keep him at short, you bring Nick Gonzalez up. He's at second. You got uh, Hayes over at third. Uh, you got a nice young kid, Lyavera Peguero, where he could slide in the short, put O'Neal wherever you need him in the outfield, probably center or wherever. You know, you can mix a lot of these guys up. And then you got Henry Davis, you know, college bat. You know, he'll be up in the big leagues quicker than, you know, than most prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're building out a nice little uh, nice little squad over there and for the Buckos. Yeah, and I love that. Like they didn't feel like they had to hold on to like a Josh Bell because you know having a, D, a young first baseman is nice, but man, you can just sign you can yeah. sign Dan Vogelbach to carry that position and hit he'll hit he'll hit you two seventy, get you twenty home runs over the course of a season, and you can call it a day. Yeah. You know, fill in the other positions. I mean, if you have a chance at a Spencer Torkelson or an Andrew Vaughn, you, of course, take that shot because that's mm-hmm. a significantly better bat. But um, for them, I agree. I love it. And, you know, not all these prospects are going to hit. Nope. 70% of prospects fail. But Brian Hayes has already hit just based on defense, even if he doesn't hit a lick Yeah. Uh, after this because he was really good and, uh, you know. Um, but even if he doesn't hit a lick, he's still going to be an insanely good third base. Yeah. And another, there's not to jump off that, but just this list in general. There's two names that excite me because there's two uh, two names that got uh, players that got hurt last year: Corbin Carroll and CJ mm-hmm. Abrams. And I was very excited on them last year at this time, and then they got hurt. And then you know when they get hurt, you don't see, you don't get to see them play as much. They are healthy this year, and those are two players that could easily be who we're talking about next year at this time, because I don't see them getting called up this year. Now question for you. Let's hear it. I get the Corbin Carroll love. Dude's really, really good. And CJ Abrams is really good too. But here's my issue with CJ Abrams. Number one, obviously, first and foremost, blocked by Tatis. Not going to be playing shortstop in the big leagues. Should Tatis play shortstop is another conversation. The answer is probably no. He's not a very good shortstop. Um, he should probably move off of shortstop defensively, but he signed a deal to play shortstop. I don't think he's moving, you know, like you don't sign that massive contract as a shortstop and then not play shortstop. I agree. Um, so even though he played center field last year, that was to keep him healthy. I think now to keep him healthy, he will be the agent or playing shortstop. So CJ Abrams doesn't have a spot at shortstop. Jake Cronenworth also probably not moving off a of second base. He's really a kind of a second base only except for shortstop type of guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not moving. Manny Machado's not moving off a of third base. So you're moving C.J. Abrams to the outfield probably. Or you're making him a roving utility guy that fills in, um, that plays every day, but fills in at a different position every single day. Um, so that's one issue, not a shortstop going forward. That hampers his value. Number two and this is the bigger one. I know he was injured last year, but he wasn't really getting to his power. And he wasn't getting to power bef- before that. And he hasn't gotten to any power as of yet in his career. And he's, you know, the same age as Riley Green, 21 and a half. 
Are we concerned that he just might not have power in his game? And if he doesn't have power in his game, is he a good investment? So, okay. So I guess my thing is if we're talking cards, so as like a, if you're talking a GM buying cards, like where, like a player wise, great player. Correct. For for GM for for card wise long term, I would say absolutely no power there. He is stuck. He's probably going to get traded. Um, and but I think in the but his game plays really really well in the minors. Where if we're talking just strictly cards and what people are looking for are the you know the over three hundred batting average, low strikeout because he's just going to slap the ball and he's going to run out a lot of stuff and get on base quite a bit because of the, you know, we're talking 80 grade top of the line speed here. Yeah. Like we're talking straight burner. Like he is, he's going to get on base down in the minors with, you know, the defensive, the lack of defensive skills down there. So if I'm talking cards, he's someone that I would sell right at debut because I'm not excited for the long term, but the hype will, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just looking at the hype. I think there's going to be a lot of hype around him. Young first rounder on the Padres, even if he doesn't, even if Tatis remains at short, no matter what him getting called up and him still labeled as a shortstop on his cards, I think has that factor. Should help. Should help. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think, I do think there is, there is an important, that he is a shortstop on the card, a shortstop on his Bowman Chrome first prospect. I think that is important. Um, but I agree long term, I'm I'm iffy. And they give him a 50 game future game power. I don't think he hit, I don't think he gets there. Yeah. Um but uh it bears bringing up, I bring it up once a month probably. But an important thing to note for those of you that may be new to listening to me is that there is a huge difference between card investment and player on the field. Yes. Nick Madrigal, I would love to have on my team. Thank you. I, we didn't even talk about that before. I am a huge Nick Madrigal fan, not like card-wise, but as a player-wise. Yes. Like, I would love, love, love to have Nick Madrigal on the Milwaukee Brewers. That dude is just, he does a ton of things well. He doesn't hit for power, and he doesn't really have any power, like, at all. But he, he does a ton of things well where it's like, you know, even if he's not hitting for power, you're going to look up at the end of the year and that's going to be a productive two, three, one player. You can slot him most places and it's going to work. So, okay, I'll take that. If I'm buying cards, I'm staying far away from Nick Madrigal. Same. Because he just doesn't have any power. And Bryce Terang's kind of the same way where I was kind of excited about Bryce Terang. I was like, if he can get to a power, big, big frame, six, one shortstop, could be interesting. Well, he hasn't got to it, and he doesn't look like he's ever going to get to it. Um, does not – he has to pull the ball to hit it with any authority. Any ball he hits the opposite way is not hit with authority, and that's a big red flag to me because uh, usually the guys with power can at least get doubles to the gap opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so, so that's a that's a major that's a major point when going through these lists. Not every guy is going to be made the same. C.J. Abrams is 15, but he lacks power. He's not going to be as good of an investment option as probably say a Kevin Alcantara at 87, because Kevin Alcantara has power. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind, everybody. But we move on, and we're going to go a little bit quicker through the rest of the list. Um, 
if you have names you want to call out, please yell them out. Um, Me? Yeah, I'm going to yell out a couple names. Jordan Walker at 17, kind of shocking. Yes. I do think there's a little bit of a warning sign. If I remember looking at his stats a couple months ago, um, he got called up and his walk rate just like got cut in half and his strikeout rate exploded. So I'm a little hesitant there to see what happens with his next taste of uh, high A or whatever level he was in. Um, we'll see there. That was interesting for me. And one more interesting thing in the 20s for me, Marco Luciano and Marcelo Meyer, 18-19. Um, obviously, Luciano is two years older and was supposed to be like the next big thing. And to this point, he hasn't exactly exploded. He still has massive power and everything. Um, what's interesting is I do think Marcelo Meyer is the much safer prospect. Yeah. Guaranteed. Guaranteed shortstop, likely, likely going to stick at shortstop. Luciano not guaranteed to stick at shortstop. Uh, better hit tool and significantly less power than Luciano, but significantly safer. Mm -hmm. So like right there, 255 future values, but Luciano has like the absolute massive star upside that Marcelo Meyer doesn't have, but Marcelo Meyer's floor is drastically higher than Luciano. Yeah. I agree with that, especially what his prices are already going for. Um, one one player that really excites me on here, um, actually not just one. I'm going to name a couple off. So a few players, another players that I like are Alec Thomas with the Diamondbacks. Um, I'm excited just to see him play for a whole another year. Um, and this is these are players where I'm not necessarily looking at stats, past stats. It's more of like, okay, brand new year. You know, I, I feel like year to year with these young guys are it, it's so big because uh, they're learning so much from year to year. So Alec Thomas, Bra uh, Brendan Davis, who I've been a fan of since he was drafted out of Arizona, um, out of high school in Arizona, uh, second rounder for the Cubs. Uh, you have Nick York, who. This is a great example. Nick York is one of those guys deep on the MLB pipeline. Easily can make that Anthony Volt jump uh, this upcoming year um, if he comes out and plays plays like how I think he should play. Um, and then the very uh, – actually, there's more. Or, or Levis Martinez with the, the Blue Jays, who I'm a huge fan of. And – Bryson Stott and Tyler Solerstrom. And I won't even keep scrolling because I know there'll be other names I like. And I know I just named off a ton, uh, but this stuff just excites me so much just to even. Um, going back to Nick York here real quick, what blows my mind about Nick York, Red Sox drafted him first round, I think 15th overall, somewhere close to there. And they got lambasted. Just harassed. Yeah. He was third round grade. Now, obviously... The MLB draft is different. Jimbo knows this. If you're listening to this, you probably know this. The MLB draft is not, you don't draft a guy that is like, sometimes you draft a guy 1-1 who is the best player in the draft. Sometimes you don't draft the best player number one. Sometimes you don't draft the best second best player number two and so on down the list. Sometimes you draft a guy that's a second round guy in the first round because you're trying to save money because it's all about slot value. Every draft pick comes with an allotted amount you can spend and you can spend all first 10 round picks that pool gets put together that's how much money you can spend on your first 10 picks so you draft a guy that is a little bit worse with the first pick 
and um, he's still really good talent, but not as good as the slot value. You save some money there, and then you can draft a couple guys that drop, and you might be able to pick your way and get you know three first round talents that are a little bit lower than the premium one really good talent, and then you know second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round talents, right? Yeah, and um, not to cut you off there, but he did sign for a million less than slot value, which is huge. There you go. Yeah, that's gigantic. And he was, you know, projected like there's there's signing guys that are going to be, um, you know, the slot value, right? The million dollars. They saved a million bucks. That's gigantic. But then there's signing guys like Nick York that are projected third round picks at best in the first round. And that's where people scoffed because it's like. You know, usually it's still a borderline first round talent that you're drafting somewhere and then saving money, not drafting a borderline third round talent in the first round to save money. And yet you fast forward two years and he is a top hundred prospect. Um, Pretty incredible to see and pretty incredible that the Red Sox were right and almost everyone else in baseball was wrong. Yeah. Well, I heard from a good friend of mine. Uh, when that when the draft happened, because a lot of people were comparing him to Pete Crow, Pete Crow Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And my buddy who is in baseball, he goes, no, don't. He goes, Nick York is for real. Pete, he goes, he's way better than Pete Crow Armstrong. Nothing to diss Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, he did get hurt last year, so it's not too fair to compare the two. But I think Pete will be a great player, too. But if you're just comparing them uh, like face to face, I think and it, you can see it now and I'm like, Oh, you know, and that's where these scouts they they have a lot more info than what you read on MLB, you know, pipeline. Correct. Um, they have countless scouts everywhere analyzing them. Um, I love that because that's the type of things that if they're not, if your buddy's not going to say that out loud, you know, he says it to you, but if he's not saying it out on a, on a, a fan graphs or an LB pipeline or a baseball America or anything, you know, we're not going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, couple names I'm excited about. Well, actually I was just going to bring up a couple names just in general. Um, you know, there's going to be guys on here that you've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've heard of Curtis Mead just because he got traded last year. Um, I forget the deal, but like Curtis Mead, 48 Tampa Bay, right? Uh, Steve Kwan, Cleveland, 24 and a half years old, triple A center fielder, 57. Um, a couple other guys that like are just kind of like pop up, like, who's that? A hey, Joey Weimer, Milwaukee. Absolutely, I know who he is because I'm a Brewers guy, but he absolutely he was a fourth round pick out of Cincinnati. Bearcats. Go Bearcats, baby. That's right. And uh I was waiting for that. And uh he got up last year and he didn't play in 2020, obviously, because of COVID. And the 2021 first year, oh my goodness, that dude has absolutely massive power, massive power, and a massive cannon of an arm. Um, so that's really fun. But like, if you're not following the Brewer system, you're unlikely to have heard of him. Um, whereas, like, two picks later, Sixto Sanchez, you've heard of Sixto Sanchez, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have guys like Josh Winder. Minnesota, Josh Smith, Texas. Like these are dudes I have never heard of. So (laughs) very interesting. Obviously, you know, these are older guys that probably had pretty good years and are 
Um, Josh Winder, starting pitcher, Josh Smith, second baseman, both 24, 25. These are the type of guys that obviously are not investments and are also on this list because they're probably going to be average major leaguers at something. You know, and so they they get a they get a 50 ranking and make the list. Mm-hmm. But they're they're also the type of guys that wouldn't make probably MLB type pipelines top 100 because they're not young enough and they're not exciting enough. Yes. Um. But I digress. A couple names I want to bring up. One is Jordan Lawler at 81. Obviously, I have a number of Jordan Lawler cards, so take this with a grain of salt. But I was talking to Christopher Crawford of NBC Edge, and he said he's a he's a, a, a prospect writer. And he said um, he said he likes Lawler probably a little bit better than Marcelo Meyer, which I thought was interesting. Now, Marcelo obviously has the whole Boston thing mm-hmm. from Boston, drafted by Boston. Good story. Um, and Lawler's a little bit older for his class. 19. Think Brett Beatty. Think Jared Kelnick. Um, think Pete Crow Armstrong. You know, these 19 year olds. I think Pete Crow Armstrong was one of those guys that was 19 in his draft year. I could be wrong. I could be making that up completely, actually. Um, maybe I just said that because they are all Mets at one point. Jared Kelnick. Good. Uh, Brett Beatty. Take the Pete Crow Armstrong one out. Pretend that's a lie. Um, but anyways, Jared Kelnick and Brett Beatty, both 19-year-olds, but both very successful minor leaguers despite, despite being old for their draft class. Jordan Lawler's another one. He has had the tools to be like a number one one overall pick he dropped a six the diamondbacks were very excited about it um and you can get his cards i mean marcel meyer bowman chrome sapphires i know this going for like 160 bucks i just picked up a jordan lawler for 66 dollars the other day there's not that big of a difference between these guys yeah there should be a hundred dollar difference either one of those two could have been first overall easily uh you know obviously the the signing bonuses was the biggest factor but even brady house could yeah. have been top three, and uh, you stole all, my you stole my next guy. Oh my my bad, sorry, jerk. I get jerk. excited. Yeah, you're good. Keep going. Brady House was my next guy, but Jim was going to talk about him. I love it. Oh, I love it. I love Brady House. I mean, all three of those guys to me are very very similar. Like uh, if you're looking at at you know long term value, I think any one of those three interchangeable are could be all the same. I don't know what I'm trying to say at that. They're they're basically a lot of the same players. In you the wouldn't season. you wouldn't be shocked if Marcelo Meyer or Jordan Lawler or Brady House became the best player from the draft. Is that what you're yeah. trying to say? Like there wouldn't be one that I'd be shocked that came out to be the best. Like any any one of those three, I'd be like, oh, Brady House was the best. Oh, that's cool. Like to me, it could all be the same. And then even Khalil Watson, who was down farther. Uh, for the Marlins, he's a kid out of high school. Didn't get talked about a lot because he wasn't in Bowman. They're saving him. And I feel like when players that have cards definitely are talked about more because there's more chat around them because there is something to talk about. There's something to look up when you, you know, you pull this kid. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if, and that was the big, that was the big knock against Bowman draft. Um, You know, not having a Khalil Watson is a travesty. But then also there was six first round shortstops that did not make that did not get cards. Um, the top two pitchers, Kumar, well, not not technically the top two pitchers, but you know, the top two pitchers by name, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, did not get cards. 
Um, I think that just shows you how deep this class is, though. This is this class right here is going to be one of the best like to go down in a long time. Um, it reminds me of the the draft with what was that Harper? Where was that a loaded class? Twenty eleven. Uh, Strasburg's class was uh, Strasburg and Trout, so that was loaded. Um, there was a draft class a couple years ago that was absolutely loaded with prospects, but I can't remember now. the The go to one for me was always two thousand five, Justin Upton, Troy Tulowitzki, Ryan Braun, mm-hmm. um, uh, Jay Bruce, Andrew McCutcheon, number of pitchers in there, really good. But there was a draft class that was like trying to take the cake from two thousand five as the best draft class ever. And right now I, I cannot remember it, but I do like that you brought up Brady house because he has massive power as an 18 year old out of shortstop. And, um, that plays, that plays especially well at the lower minors. You know, you buy this guy, he like right now, he lights up rookie ball. He lights up a ball. You can sell before he even touches double a, and you're probably doubling up on your money. Yeah. To me, that's a, I like that play a lot. And, um, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm very excited for, the, ne- the Bowman products to come up the next few years or the next, you know, Bowman prospects. I think they're just going to be absolutely loaded. And with this baseball craze that's going right now, things are just going to be just explode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once, once we get news that there's a season back. Oh, oh. Um, anyways, we could keep going. There's obviously 114 guys on this list, but I think that would be, that'd be way too long. Um, there is, there is, Two last names I want to bring up here, um, and it is Xavier Edwards and Joey Bart. Um, and I find this interesting because Xavier Edwards is 110 and Joey Bart is 113. And the crazy thing to me is Xavier Edwards was one of those guys, no power, second baseman, kind of an exciting like, ooh, this guy could become amazing, blah, blah, blah. And he's just been dropping down the list year after year. And Joey Bart, same way, he was – or and George – Valera at 103. Uh, but Joey Bart majorly was the number two overall pick um number of years ago. A 2018 draft. 2019 draft. And then came out in 2020 Bowman with Jason Dominguez and Bobby Witt. That's right. So 2019 draft, number two overall pick. Everyone's like catcher of the future, Buster Posey's replacement, yada, yada, yada. You fast forward a couple years. I don't know. Sorry, you, you were right. 2018. 2018? Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, you fast forward a couple of years, and Joey Bart has just because I was like, man, I thought he was, I thought he was the same card, looking card as uh, Wander Franco, like the same design, but I, I couldn't remember. Um, so you fast forward from the 2018 draft where he was the next coming of Buster Posey and the next Giants great catcher, this that. He's now. Slotting at the very bottom. There's 114 guys on this list, and he's number 113. And that just goes to show you that even if you were drafted number two, now 50 future value is nothing to sneeze at. That's still a solid major league player. It is. But that's not what you're expecting to get with the number two pick Mm -hmm. and Buster Posey's future. Uh, So just a friendly reminder to everyone on here, just because a guy's ranked 87th and 18 years old does not mean he's going to move up into the 50s. In the same year 
Just because a guy is ranked 15th and 18 years old doesn't mean he's automatically going to become the number five prospect next year or the number one prospect next year. And just because the guy's the number one prospect in baseball doesn't mean he's going to come up and potentially not play poorly. I mean, look at Wander for a month last year. The biggest thing with that, too, if they get called up, it's it's having uh, realistic expectations. Like a guy coming up and getting and hitting 270 as a rookie, that's solid. But People some... expect him to be Juan Soto. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody's Juan Soto. That, and Juan Soto, I love him, but he was probably the worst thing that ever happened. Dude is 19 years old, storms through A ball, storms through double A, skips triple A completely, and then hits the ground running in the MLB. Like that just doesn't happen. It does not happen. You can't just skip the top level of the minors and have no, no problem with the majors. Like that just goes to show you that Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. There's, there's not a single person you can say, even Mike Trout, you can't tell me Mike Trout's a better hitter than Juan Soto. I agree. Full hitter. Yeah. Complete hitter. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Juan Soto's a better, Mike Trout's a significantly better player than Juan Soto when healthy, but uh, because of defense and base running, but Juan Soto is by far like that dude's eye at the plate and everything insane. Mm -hmm. Um, But he, he ruined baseball because then you get guys like Wander Franco coming up and performing pretty poorly for the first month. And people are like, Oh, this dude's a bust. No. Um, But you also have the other, you have the other side where one of these guys can come up and everyone could be so high and, for some reason or another, they do not perform well. And, uh, you know, you drop all the way down the list like a Joey Bart. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should probably wrap it up here. Uh, you know, we could go all day. There's 115 day. guys, and we just don't have the time. Jimbo's got to get to Atlanta. And also, you know, I want to leave something for people to read. So go to Fangraphs.com. Click on the 2022 top 100 prospect list and have a good day. Maybe while you're at work, supposed to be doing work, you just read about top 100 prospects all day. That'd be a good time. That's a great um, time. Jimbo, any last words on this list? Yeah. Uh, well, there's no such things because I could go on and on. One thing that I would love is to hear from other people, uh, like one thing, like certain players they like. I, t- I love talking baseball. So on my Instagram, I love talking. If anyone wants to talk baseball there, but then also, like what things for us to bring up in the future. Like one thing that I always appreciated or one thing that I was like listening to was who do we think will be top 10 at this time next year or something like that, maybe for the next episode or, or we'll do that. We'll do that next Friday. Yeah. We'll, and maybe we'll, we'll rehab, we'll bring back up this top hundred and we'll talk about guys we think could jump. Yeah. Cause that's the stuff I think that would be a lot of fun. But other than that, Second episode in the books. I'm pumped. If if anyone wants to talk baseball, hopefully by this time next year, we're talking about how the deal will sign and how games are starting in three days. I love it. I love it. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to Dinging Corners 2.0, episode three. Um, Jimbo, thank you for coming on again. I know you have a busy day ahead of you, so I appreciate you getting in this time and uh, jumping on here yet again. Always a good time talking baseball with Jimbo, and I'm excited for uh, every week here going on out. Me too, dude. I'm so pumped. I could do this every day for seven days. I love it. (laughs) I love it. All right, guys. You guys have a good rest of your Friday, 
and we will talk to you again next Friday.